0: Here is, uh, as we come into Acts 15, and we're going to spend a couple weeks in Acts 15 because there's a couple of things that we need to unpack. And so what I want to do, what we're going to do today is um, uh, consider sort of the introduction to this. The first missionary journey is now finished. Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch where they had gone, and we sort of saw the conclusion of that last week. You would have thought possibly here is Antioch that church that was so uh, powerfully founded with the faithful teaching of Paul and Barnabas and they trained up other faithful men missionary minded church that sent out Paul and Barnabas to do the work of the Lord and as they come back you might think to yourself this is the perfect church they will never have problems But what we see in the very beginning of this chapter and and what you can see in your own experience, there is no perfect church because it's filled with imperfect people. Every single one of us sinful, every single one of us in, in, in that constant struggle against the flesh and the desires of the flesh and at times yielding to it and acting with anger acting with selfishness, acting with rashness and cheapness. We all do so. So there will never be a a perfect local church until God gathers us all up to him and removes all sources of temptation and removes entirely the remains of the flesh from us. Until that time, there's going to be differences. And you know that even now. In your your experience as you go to various churches in time. In your experience, if you watch the television and the preaching that takes place there. Or so on. You hear different things from different men. And there are within churches a multitude of denominations. Most of which exist because they hold different views. Some of you are probably aware, even this week it has been announced, the likely division of an existing denomination. As half of the denomination says, they're going to abandon the clear principles of the scripture with regard to morality and marriage, and allow the wicked views of this world, men with men and women with women, and the others are saying not. And they can't come to agreement, and therefore they divide. And that's not a surprising thing as we recently studied in the earlier hour through 1 Corinthians, we were reminded that there will and must be factions, divisions among them in order that the genuine may be shown. Here at the very beginning of Acts chapter 15, we have that issue where there is a difference of opinion. And what I want us to understand about this, and not not mistake, Jude tells us very clearly that we are to contend for the faith. There becomes at certain times a prevailing sentiment to to just have peace. Just get along. Put aside your differences. There was a a gathering of, of church leaders in India years ago and I was told that one of the things they requested the the pastors to do is leave your beliefs and doctrines at the door and just come in and have unity. Uh, unity in the spirit has one Lord One hope, one faith, one baptism, one God and Savior over all? One spirit? If you leave your doctrine at the door, anybody gets in. If you leave your doctrine at the door, the guy who's inside that's confused and deceived, there's nobody willing to tell him, Brother, that's wrong! dangerously wrong here there were men who had come down and they were bringing their tradition from being jewish pharisees they were bringing their traditional views their opinions they were bringing their legalism and they were inserting it into the church i ask you does this happen today That people will come and they bring with them their traditions, their experiences, their expectations. And if this church isn't doing what I'm thinking is right, they're wrong. But every once in a while, it just might be possible we're wrong. Isn't it? And so when we consider this, I want us to note, as these men came down and they brought this teaching, there is a, a phrase that is in the beginning of this. You can see it in verse 2. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Hebrew phrase that, that carries kind of a, a, an understated sense that you're supposed to pick up on it. It says this in, in verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. No small dissension and debate. I ask you this. What's the opposite of small? If it was not small, not a small issue, not a little issue, not a brief issue, it was big, it was significant, and they went at it. And you're, Now, you, you may be starting to shake your head, but the, the, what I love about this is, listen... The the view, and I urge this repeatedly, is never, let's just agree to disagree. That is unacceptable. Let us continue to search God's word until we agree. Let us point out to one another scripture from God's word until we agree. It is a, a unity of the faith. Not a, not a unity that has no content. And they, di- they differed and they disagreed. And what they did in this day is they determined, here's the best plan. We know that God had appointed Christ alone as the head of the church. He had appointed the apostles who would bear his authority and be his spokesman for them. In Jerusalem is where you had most The most gathered apostles in one place. As well as the most mature believers and elders who had been trained by those apostles. So they decided, we need to go there and figure out what we are supposed to believe once and for all. And I want us to to not miss this. Uh, They did not after having this debate, take a vote. Okay? They did not also simply divide. Now, though I think to maintain uh, biblical truth and purity, you divide from those who are unwilling to obey Christ. Indeed. But the, but the, the sad thing is, shouldn't it be at the end of the day we all obey Christ? We all yield ourselves to the word of God. And so Paul and Barnabas go there to Jerusalem to begin to argue and discuss this and, and, and get the clear sense what is truth. Now I want you to notice this from verse 1. These men who were coming down and teaching were saying this. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot Be saved. Now here's what I want to be cautious about. Unless you. Do this. Do that. Unless you. You cannot be saved. There's a little bit of a mistake there. It's works. It's trusting in the efforts. And deeds. And actions. Of men. Now, I don't want to miss this point. The scriptures still do set forth certain commands in the gospel that I will not set aside. Indeed, I would say, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven, right? Unless you, will, you repent, you will not be saved. Unless you believe, you will not be saved. But what I, what, I wanna, what we're going to see unfold here is when men start adding actions and deeds... Of their own minds and thoughts. No. And indeed what we're going to also see is this. the Unless you repent and unless you believe. Uh, these are responses that are wrought in your heart. By the grace of God through the working of the Holy Spirit. So it's, it is different than something you do. It's something that you do by the grace of God at work within you. And so I want to begin to unpack this. And to to get this sense. We cannot add anything. Indeed. I might want to go. I'm going to go today. A step back. Before. Unless you repent. And unless you believe. Unless you turn. Before that. here, Here is the powerful. And profound reality. Unless. God. Have grace on you. You will not be saved. Unless God. Pour out his spirit on you. You will not be saved. Don't want us to miss that. Years ago. As I, um, in addition to. For those of you who desire. As we're at the start of the year. Back on the table. Out in the foyer. There are Bible reading schedules. There's a Bible reading schedule. By McShane's. And what I began to do. A number of years back. As I was reading through that year by year. I began to take colored pens. I began to use the red pen to underline everywhere in my Bible when it's, where it spoke of the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the might of God, and then also the places where it spoke of the impotence of man, the weakness of man, the helplessness of man. And if you were to go through the Bible that I used last year, you would see on almost every single page there are red underlines. And what I want us to, to not miss, and I want us to focus on today, in Acts chapter 15, we're gonna get, we'll get into next week how, how circumcision has nothing to do with it, how, how law keeping has nothing to do with it, how we're saved by grace through faith. But what we're going to focus on today is what God has done. Because the strongest emphasis that ought to be there in the gospel is what God has done. God sent his son. Jesus, the son of God, came. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus lived a sinless life. As a man who was born under the law, he lived without sin. Jesus went to the cross. In obedience to the father. He gave up his life. No one took it from him. And what does the scripture say? He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we would be dead to sin. And made alive to God. That we would be the righteousness of God in him. And you understand. The gospel is preeminently of what God has done. What God has accomplished in Christ. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It tells us this in Luke chapter 19 verse 10. And I think we forget these simple words too often. It says this. For the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So who seeks the lost? Who saves the lost? Yeah, you know what? It wasn't the lost that we're seeking. It wasn't the lost that saved themselves. He seeks and saves the lost. Now I ask you this. When he seeks them, does he find them? Oh, indeed, probably you're aware. And I do want to just briefly before we even get further into it, draw your attention to Luke 15. Luke 15 says these words. It's very it's in this same concept of the great shepherd, the seeker and saver of the lost. It says this in Luke 15. What man of you having a hundred sheep. If he has lost one of them. What does he do? He leaves the 99 in the open field country. And he goes after that lost one. Until he finds it. What does Jesus do? He seeks and saves the lost. And he seeks those lost sheep that the father has given him. Until what? Until he finds it. But listen. It's not done. It goes on and says this. And when he has found it. He lays it on his shoulders. Rejoicing. And he comes home and calls all his friends together. And his friends. And and he says rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. You know what it's not? Rejoice because the sheep found me. Rejoice because he found his way back home. He was wandering and yet somehow he got on the right path. Is that what happened? No, he has no idea which way to go. He's a sheep. You know, sheep are not known for their remarkable directional awareness. The sheep is wandering with no clue what is going to ultimately happen. But the shepherd sets himself upon the sheep. And he relentlessly pursues until he lays hold. But what if the sheep after all the wandering is so tired that he doesn't want to come? Does he just get as close as he can and say, Hey little buddy, I got an invitation for you. Come on and join us. Is that what he did? I love what he did. He takes hold of that sheep, pops that sheep up on his shoulders, and he brings it home. And then he rejoices. And somebody said, well, why why do you want us to rejoice with you? The sheep didn't come home because he thought you were the greatest shepherd. You went and found him. You brought him back. So you did all of it. Why, Why are you so happy? The sheep didn't do anything great. Listen, we didn't do anything great either. God in his mercy saved us. First Timothy says these words. First Timothy, and this is by way of introduction. 115. This saying is a trustworthy statement in, in the ESV, deserving full acceptance. In the King James, worthy of all acceptation. This is something everybody should know and accept. And what is it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen? He didn't save the righteous. He didn't save the good. He didn't save the worthy. He didn't save the beautiful. He didn't save the, the, the intelligent. He, he sa- saved who? Sinners. Like you and like me. It is a multitude of sinners. Who will ultimately be condemned. And it is a multitude. Who were but also sinners. Who will eventually be saved. And all because of the grace of God. In Christ Jesus. He saves Sinners. Right? I mean, this is one of the most simple statements. Christ saves sinners. Do we believe that? You know who does not save sinners? Preachers. Now, God is pleased to use us to deliver the message of the gospel that saves By the working of God, but the man does not save anybody. The preacher has not saved them, they have not saved themselves. God alone saves. Now, what I want to want you to to see here their struggle in this passage is unless this happens, you cannot. Be saved. Now, I want to focus in for you and show you why we're looking at this principle in Acts chapter 15. And to do so, we lay the groundwork, obviously, by going back to Acts chapter 14 for just a second in verse 27. And I remind you what it says as they got back to the church. Now, as they'd come back to the church in Antioch, while they were out doing ministry, many were saved, weren't there? Many were saved. Many were healed. Many were restored. Uh, Some were mistreated and and afflicted as well. But when they come back, I remind you of what we've seen in the previous week. Acts 14, 27. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. I don't want us to miss that. What did they, they declare? I love that because so many times, and you've probably experienced it, and I, it, it may be possible that I've even misstepped in this. I pray not, but I haven't a clear memory of my entire life and every word. But listen, we, we may oft have, and churches do, um, missionaries come through or people come back from missionary trips, right? short-term missions trips, and get back, and, and what's the gathering often assembled to do? Tell us what you did. And and the people get up there and they say, well, this is what we did and we did this and and we preached here and then this is what they did. They responded and they were saved. And, and, And there's a lot about what we did and there's a lot about what they seem to do, but there's something very important missing in that. What is it? They said what God had done with them. So they understood everyone who was healed. Did they heal them? No. If they're healed, they're healed by God. Everybody who's saved, did they save them? No. They're saved. They're saved by God. They went and told them what God had done. God gave us the opportunity to speak in this place. God opened the hearts of these people to receive it. God brought them to faith and repentance. are you, giving, are you t- giving God first place in everything? Are you, You're acting as if nothing happens if God doesn't do it. I'm not acting. That's a fact. We remember what Jesus says in John 15, those simple words, when he's encouraging them to bear fruit and encouraging them to serve, he says these unbreakable words that we know very well. He says this, Apart from me, you can do... Nothing. That's a short list. Of what we can accomplish on our own. Nothing. So that means. Listen. If I. Turned from sin to God. Well apart from him I can do nothing. So I didn't do that on my own. It was the grace of God through Christ in me. That I turned. That I repented. That I believed because apart from him. Inert unresponsive, frozen, dead, nothing, hello, nothing apart from him. So listen, and and, and not only there, go from Acts 14 down to Acts 15, verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared to them all that God had done with them. Brothers and sisters, again, may we never lose this. And it is my prayer that this year, not only in Marshall, but spreading throughout the whole globe, everyone who names the name of Christ and every church that gathers in the name of Christ might recognize and give to Christ preeminence in all things. That God would be exalted above all. He would be praised. His name would be lifted up. And men would not be made much of. We would just be constantly reminded of our need. And our need is every moment of every day. Grace to stand. Grace to walk. Boldness to speak. Faithfulness and strength to resist temptation. In every moment we need Him and are dependent upon Him. Look with me in Acts 15, 12. All the assembly fell silent and they listened to Paul and Barnabas as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them. Brothers and sisters, I'm hoping that this this becomes gets to be more than just our theology. But our theology should be a part of our terminology in which we speak. We need to speak more. About, about, these, about these things. It, it's, not, it's not a statement. That ought to become trite. When we say. By the grace of God. I'm doing well. I say, By the grace of God. I've recovered from this sickness. You know. Uh, recognizing e- e- even, even things. That, we, that the world attributes to nature. Who causes the wind to blow. Who sends forth. The frost and the snow. From his storehouses. Have we not read the scriptures? We know this. Who's the one that sends the rain on the evil and on the righteous alike? God. So that we come to understand. Not only apart from him we can do nothing. The reality of this. Apart from him. Nothing does nothing. Which is a strange sentence. I get it. But more than that. Apart from him. Nothing. I could just stop with the word nothing. I mean, there is nothing. All that exists, exists by him. He continues to uphold it by the word of his power. Not only is the the reality of mission. and, And if we were to give, ask to give our testimony in the simplest terms. It ought to simply be, if we were to, somebody was to force us to share your testimony in one sentence. It should simply be this. I'm a sinner that God saved. And I maybe like the brevity of that only in the sense that sometimes... uh, uh, When you read the scriptures and as you're reading through the book of Acts, pay close attention to this. Often when it says, and the apostles shared the testimony. Their testimony was of Jesus, who he was, what he accomplished, how he died and rose again. Breaks my heart that we've turned the phrase testimony around. And the testimony is, let me tell you my story. And we actually live in a world that really kind of promotes this idea. Everybody has their own story. Let's listen to everybody's story. Blah, blah, blah. And, and, and uh brothers and sisters, there's only one story that matters. And that's the story of Jesus Christ. And effectively, the, the, the facts of all of our stories are exactly the same. We were unworthy of. Undeserving sinners dead in our sin. And God saved us. Amen? You know, sometimes we like to present ourselves as, as heroes of sin. And this has often broken my heart in hearing people's testimonies. They'll talk about and they'll, uh, they'll go into extreme detail about just how sinful they were. And sometimes it seems like a longing reminiscing. Where, where really the thinking back on the sinful worldliness of the past should make us sick. I, I, I despise who I was and what I was and what I did, and I can't believe because of who I was and what I did that God would have mercy on me. I mean, isn't that? Listen. First of all, the first main thing that we see is an emphasis on what God has done. Secondly, I want to draw your attention to verse verse 14. Now again, it's one of the things that begins to grip you. And if it makes you uncomfortable, wrestle with the scripture. Okay? This is what it says. Simon described for them. I mean... Simon related to them how God first visited the Gentiles. Okay, so so God came, displayed himself among the nations. And what did he do? It says to take from them a people for his own name. Okay, so here you got the nations. And what does God do? He comes and he takes. Listen, we often say with regard to uh, life, and rightly so, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, let's not forget this. God is the great giver and God is the great taker as well. And listen to what it says. He didn't come, he didn't come here. He sends us to pronounce and we declare what we oft call an invitation. We call people to come. We say turn from your sins, follow Jesus, come. And it is through that preaching of the gospel that God is pleased by his spirit to do that work. But let's not misunderstand this. God came among the nations to take a people from them for His name, you're mine, and you're mine, and you're mine. What? Well, what is the what is what is the sense of this? The way let's let me show you how other other translations weirdly put it. The NIV there there says to choose a people for Himself. The New English translations say uh, to select from among the Gentiles a people for his name. The word is simply this. To take them. Let me show you a couple other places this word is used in this way. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 40. It says this. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic. Now if someone is... Taking your tunic. Is that something you really wanted to happen? No. It is. He is taking it. Because he has the power to take it. Listen what it says further in Matthew 15 verse 26. Jesus gives this example and he answers. It is not right to take the children's bread. And throw it to the dogs. Which again. Here is the children's bread. And someone is what? Kiddo. Is it okay if I take your bread? Is, it, is there a request there? No. This person has the power. And the kid can't fight against it. He takes the bread and throws it to the dogs. Is that right? No. You ought to give it to the kid. But it's given that sense of take. It says this in uh, uh, Revelation 6, four. A, a, a horse came, another one, a bright red one. And its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. Which, which? no, you can't. We're holding our peace. Uh, no, you can't. Because the rider is taking it. The enemy might try, would try to hold on. Maybe even our our wicked friends may try to hold on and keep us in their sinful circle and practices. Even the flesh of our own heart might struggle in its resistance against the word of God. But when God by his grace lays hold of us, we say, oh yeah, he came to take a people." for himself. Again, the other strongest sense of this word in John 10, Jesus says this of his life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I have the authority. Here it is to take it up again. So when Jesus decides he's taken up his life again, who can stop him? Can Pilate Can the Sadducees, the Pharisees, can guards at the tomb, can anybody stop Jesus from taking up his life again? Can anybody stop God from taking for himself a people from among the nations? No, he can't. That's why we go to the ends of the earth. Because we are confident what? Christ has purchased for God a people from every tribe, language, nation, and people. And so we go with the gospel and we see the grace of God at work. Not only have we seen what God has done. All attributed to him. That God takes a people for himself. But look with me now at verse 7. Acts 15 verse 7. It says there was much debate. Peter stood among them and said, Brothers... You know how in the early days, God made a choice among you. That by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What? Well, I mean, God can, God can make a choice who says it, right? But can, can God also decide who hears? And can God also decide who believes? Can't he? Of course, you know I am asking that question. And we're going to look at this a little further. Uh, look at verse. We'll read verse 8 and 9 and then we'll unpack this a little bit. Verse 8 and 9 also says this. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, the Gentiles that he brought to himself, by giving them the Holy Spirit as, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. Having cleansed their hearts by faith. So listen closely. What was the condition of their hearts in my heart and your heart? Filth. And then what happened? He cleansed it by faith. Wait a second. I thought I believed. You did believe. Because he cleansed your heart by faith. Let's unpack this a little bit more. What about our hearts? Jeremiah. You know this one. Jeremiah 17.9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? There is actually a right answer to that question. Who can know it? God. But for us. We can't know it. Why? Because it's deceitful. Our heart's telling us, you're not so bad. You don't deserve eternal punishment. There's a lot of others worse than you. You've done more good than bad. And sadly, there are people who believe their hearts. But notice this. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. I like that uh, King James Version. The ESV says uh, 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 terribly sick or something uh, weaker like that. But let's see. Uh, Jesus describes the nature of man's heart. A descendant of Adam in Matthew 15, 19. Now you won't like this. I don't like it. But I know it by experience. Tells us this. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart... Come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, slander. So all of the sinful things that come, where do they have the origins? In our heart. So 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 I, I've got two thoughts for you. God knows the heart. Oh no. Oh no. That, that, that sounds like it's our undoing. But see, the God who knows the heart is the God who takes our filthy heart and replaces it. The beautiful picture and expression of that is given to us in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I'm sure you know this verse. Jesus said, God says in that promise of what will be accomplished in Christ in the new covenant. He says this. I will give you a new heart. We need that, don't we? You know why we need that? Because out of our old heart comes what? Evil tops and everything terrible. It is deceitful and desperately wicked. So we're absolutely undone. And he gives us a new heart. And then what does it say? And a new spirit I put within you. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, the old is passed away. The old spirit, the old heart, done. Now, a new heart, a new spirit, a new man in Christ Jesus. Isn't that glorious? He says, I will remove the heart of stone, that hard, unresponsive heart, and put in it a a heart of flesh, one that is beating, one that is loving, one that is responsive, not one that's calcified. And verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Oh, an absolutely changed heart. Now, this was a struggle. Now, let's let's not miss this. The scriptures are very clear. And it says this in John chapter 8, verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe. That remains a fact. Everyone's going to die in their sins. Unless they believe that Jesus says that I am he. You will die in your sins. If you, if you have not faith in Christ. You will die in your sins. This is essential. But listen further in Acts chapter 10. Verse 43 it says this to him. That's to Christ. All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, is it important to believe? Yeah, we have to believe. But how is this going to happen? Let me remind you briefly of what it says in verse the end of verse seven. That the Gentiles will hear the word and believe. Now, let's, let's consider this idea, here the word, because it's important to note this. Jesus will oft say in his teaching, and it says it even in the book of Revelations, he who has ears, let him hear. Which is, I've always found an interesting statement, because I picture everybody who's standing there listening going, uh, yeah, we all got ears. Why is he even saying that? Because he's not talking about whether you've got these little fleshy things sticking off the side of your head. He's talking about whether you are granted by the grace of God through the spirit to hear and understand and receive spiritual things. This is what. Uh, listen to what it, I'm, I've got to go faster because for some reason the clock goes so fast every week. Only on Sundays. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 5. You can note these down or or again, this is being recorded. You can look back to it later. Isaiah 50 verse 5 says this beautiful statement. The Lord God has opened my ear. There's a sense in which we are born with deceitful hard hearts. We're born with stopped up deaf ears. We're stopped with we're born with scales on our eyes that we cannot see. But the Lord opened my ears. I was not rebellious and turned backwards. In Psalm 40 verse 6, God's word says this. In sacrifice and offerings, you have not delighted. But you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sins you have not required. God is going to grant. He's going to take some from among the Gentiles by what? Giving them ears to hear and he must give them ears to hear because if they don't they're in trouble look up if you would on your own even as i'll quote it to you deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 4 that's a shocking verse because deuteronomy 29 verse 4 the children of israel have they've seen all of the plagues They've they've seen God provide an astounding amount of meat from the skies. Bread from the heavens. Water from the rock. They've seen all these mighty works of God. And yet they were not submissive, loving, and obedient to Him. And you think, what is wrong with these people? After, I mean, if anyone cannot deny. That God is who He said He is. They're seeing His glory manifest on the temple. They're seeing a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. I mean, right there, there was lightning and thunder on Mount Horeb, and they heard His voice from heaven. Do you think as God thundered the Ten Commandments from heaven, anyone sitting down there and thinking, I wonder if I should believe in God. I wonder if He exists. Is anyone saying that? They should all know, but in spite of of being aware that God exists, they did not have the ability to submit themselves to him and serve him in love because Deuteronomy 29 verse 4. But to this day, God has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. So do you know what we pray for our loved ones who are still apart from Christ? You know what we pray for our neighbors who are still apart from Christ? Our hope's not in them that they'll figure it out. Our hope's not in us that we will convince them. Our hope is in God as it always is. And so what do we do? God, I'm going to see them again today and I'm going to try to share the gospel. Oh God, give them a heart to understand. Give them ears to hear. Give them eyes to see that they might know you as you've revealed yourself to me. Oh, God. Not only that. He reminds them of this. And it's such strong language. The scripture says this. uh, Jesus speaking to the Jews in that day. He says in in, uh, John chapter 8 verse 43. This out of the King James. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. I'm saying it. And you can't hear it. Now they could have probably repeated back to him what he said. But they weren't hearing it. With understanding. And faith. But then Jesus can say to his disciples. Blessed are your eyes. For they see. And your ears. For they hear. Indeed, it says in Romans chapter 10, but not all have obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Who has believed? And he says this, so faith comes from hearing, hearing the words of God. So we've got to preach the gospel and God has to grant them hearing. And so we plead with him. But not only did God grant that that they would hear, but that they would hear and believe. We're going to have to uh, move on to the, that as quickly as we can today. Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 26, But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. We should never forget this. Jesus tells them that that strange sense which the Pharisees never got. And they were trying to bring it back here in the beginning of uh, Acts chapter 15. He says this in Matthew, 15, uh, Matthew 5 verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And Romans, of course, tells us in Romans 3.10, none is righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. So if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of God. then, Then how is it going to happen? The reality is what? You have to be granted to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that is done by grace through faith. It tells us this in uh, John chapter one or James chapter one, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Oh, yeah. By the exercise of his will, he took us. We were children of wrath just like the rest. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Even while we were yet enemies and sinners. He made us alive in Christ Jesus. So powerful the words. <laughs> Again uh, as, as our time runs down. Just one more verse I just want to set before you. As we're closing in time. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Sets forth this this. this amazing sentence so amazing that we read it really quickly without ever concentrating on because it's just mind-blowing simon peter writes and he says simon peter second peter 1 1 a servant and apostle of jesus christ to those he writes to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours Now, what's funny is uh, the scriptures say, uh, by, by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So, where did faith come? It was a gift of God. You have obtained faith. The modern church says, put your faith in Jesus. What? You don't put your faith anywhere. He puts faith in you and you believe. He gives sight and you see. He gives hearing and you hear. He gives faith and you believe. He gives a new heart and you are cleansed. But listen, it it, it says this. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. That word obtained there is a word that simply means this. I'm going to read straight out of a lexicon. It's it's. That which comes to someone always apart from his own efforts. Even it is commonly used in scriptures as what is given by the casting of lots. The lot is cast. And the lot says this portion of the land will be given to Judah. Well, the lot is... What did Judah do? What did Manasseh do? What 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 did these tribes do that specifically they got that allotment? It was allotted by lot. And you cast the lot. Is that just random? The lot is cast in the lap. But it's every answer is from God, it tells us in Proverbs. So that we understand this. We have obtained... By God's own choosing that he has granted to us a faith of equal standing with the faith of the apostles noting this from those that we would put at the pinnacle of Christianity as we mistakenly uniquely call them Saint John and Saint Peter and all that uh, stuff even though we know we're all saints by the grace of God but we put them on the pinnacle and what, what do these men say? With regard to our acceptance with God. Our standing with God. It's because of the same faith. We may have more authority in in God's design for the structure and order of the church. But our only hope is nothing of us. But all of God. Oh, our time has run out. So basically we saw today. What God, everything is what God had done. That God was taking for himself the people. God made the choice who would speak. God was going to grant some to hear. God was going to grant them to believe. God is the one who knows hearts. God is the giver of hearts. The maker of new hearts. Indeed I might simplify it all. By saying these simple words. God. Saves. Sinners. Let's pray.